0: Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there is a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine, and when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming, Now, trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million worldwide who have joined Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you the bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. At manscaped.com and use the code PFF. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. What is up? Welcome back to another edition of Talking Ball. It is Monday, August 29th, week zero of college football first weekend of college football in the books if you could really call it that didn't feel like a college football Saturday waking up this one upcoming Saturday I'll be at Ohio State Notre Dame I think that's going to feel decidedly different waking up this Saturday but quick rewind to last weekend because a little story from Neil Hornsby founder of PFF had his retirement party last Thursday night Peter King didn't end up making it we actually talked about it on the pod that he was supposed to be here couldn't end up making it for one reason or another sent in a video that was pretty funny to watch but why couldn't you why weren't you there Quinn I, I it, yeah a little bit of
1: a COVID scare not gonna lie I mean that's that's still a thing uh, I guess unfortunately but uh yeah is. girlfriend was not uh, not feeling well um fever chills, whole thing. So took a, took a couple tests. Everything's fine. But, uh, figured probably wasn't the best idea to, uh, to come to a party where there's going to be like hundreds of people there. So, you know, just kind of, kind of being a responsible, I'm a, I'm a company man. That is very responsible responsible. company man.
0: And also very like a retirement party, nonetheless, where it's like, those are not, that's your retirement gift. Like, Hey,
1: thanks. You know, for everything here, you know, here's a, here's a disease. But, but I, uh, it, it, we we were not there, so it's you, it's it's all good.
0: It was a pretty good time. We kind of blowed out. They uh, did it on the rooftop here at the PFF offices. Uh, Austin Gale was uh, talking over the loudspeaker, just in his normal voice uh, the whole time. It was pretty impressive. Um, but I, I got the initial like the initial invite for it went out in a company Slack like a month ago. I saw it. I put it on my calendar. Didn't think twice about it. Apparently, they sent an updated invite the day before that had the dress code, which was dress casual on it. I never saw that because I don't really check the company slacks too much because I don't really, to be honest, care all that much. I kind of stay in my own lane here and do the draft stuff and do my podcast. And then I go to work and I head home, but apparently it was dress casual. I show up because I walked there because I live like about a mile away from the office. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk and it's a little hot. So I show up wearing my yoga shorts and a God country, Notre Dame shirt. That's like an athletic shirt. And, I walk up first thing. Person I see is Steve Palazzolo in a full suit outside of the office, and I know I had fucked up. Um, looked like I was wearing swim trunks. honestly. do were my yoga shorts. Uh, it was it was rough because everyone's wearing dress to the nines. The the good news is though, probably the second least dressed person there was Neil Hornsby. He was just wearing a t shirt. So for his own retirement party, I didn't feel that out of place. But it, it was little egg on the face moment for me, but. I digress. Let's get into the talk and ball segment here. We got talking ball. We got the freaks list on tap. We got Bruce Feldman interview with him after we talk about the freaks list. We got the rookie stock report. Gonna go through a lot of the rookies who impress me, who mm, maybe needs a little bit more seasoning at this point in time. And then we're gonna get to your guys' mailbag questions at the end of the show. So let's talk some ball. And the first talk and ball is a little housekeeping news. PFF now has an app. On the Apple App Store, go check it out, PFF. It might say, did you mean PDF? No, you meant PFF, Pro Football Focus. We have a new app. It is, as George Shihuri likes to say, as bad as it will ever be right now. going to sick, get better. though. What's that? It's still sick. It is still it's sick. It's a good app. It is. It, it's it a legitimately
1: is, good app. And we will probably, if I'm not mistaken, maybe not today, but definitely for Thursday's episode, uh, we'll probably have some sort of little promo for you podcast Ooh. listeners regarding the app. Um, don't exactly have it finalized yet, but we will. So go check that out.
0: There we go. A little promo for you guys, nice. Uh, but it is it is real slick. It is probably mm, the best public-facing thing we've created. PFF Ultimate's the best thing PFF's ever created, but this is the best public-facing thing. This is the best thing you guys can get that we've ever created. A lot of man-hours have gone into this, and it is pretty sick. So go ahead, download that in the App Store now says some other actual, maybe NFL news. I don't know if you know if you can call this actual NFL news. Tom Brady returned with no explanation whatsoever. He comes back from, you know, week plus long hiatus and tweets out about his clothing brand is the only thing, first thing he tweets back that he was shooting for his clothing brands when it definitely wasn't him in the video he tweets out. So, Quinn, you want to run the clip of what he said at the podium? it's all personal you know everyone's got different situations they're dealing with so we all have really unique challenges to our life and uh you know we're I'm 45 years old man there's a lot of shit
2: going on so you know you just gotta try to figure out life the best you can and um
0: you know it's a uh continuous process so so I don't really even care what he said and now now maybe there was some real pressing reason that he had to go some family issue whatever undisclosed that uh we're not privy to and, and shouldn't be privy to honestly but it looks like he got more plastic surgery I, i'm just gonna say it his face I, in that video that, that was
1: the i was gonna ask you that i didn't know that you had that take preps but that's like the big rumor going around
0: like his is that he
1: had it scheduled and he's like oh shit like i gotta get it and takes 11 i don't know how long recovery from plastic surgery takes but i feel like the timetable kind of checks out
0: I mean, he's already, he's already like, it's well documented. If you just look at his rookie photo in the NFL, how much his jawline has changed. And what's like his cheekbones now are fucking like protruding out of his face. He looks like Handsome Squidward was the meme going around about him. And it's true. I mean, he looks absolutely like a caricature of a 45-year-old man. Um,
1: I love Tom Brady, but he is like dangerously approaching Dane Cook territory. Have you seen Dane Cook? Yeah. Like maybe not that bad because he's a pro athlete, but, you know, he's in better shape, but like, we're kind of, I mean, you can mention him in the same sentence. And like I said, I love Tommy, but that's not that's not a great spot to be. But
0: it is a slippery slope, man. That's what you see it happen all the time. Hollywood, the, the, once you, once you're a little upset with something about yourself, you probably, and Tom Brady, the ultimate competitor, he's probably not going to change until he thinks it's perfect. And when you're that kind of competitor, You're never, it's never going to be perfect. So you're always going to be chasing. And Tommy, I think it's time to hang it up, hang up, hang up the, the scalpel. Um, you don't need it anymore. It was already looking like for a 45 year old man. He was already looking pretty damn good. Now starting to get into dangerous territory. Other news at the quarterback front, Geno Smith named the starter for the Seattle Seahawks. And with good reason, I, I was impressed with what Geno Smith did this preseason. He looked legitimately good. Now, last year, I think with Seattle it was probably the best we've seen him look. And that was that wasn't great, but like you had you could tell that a corner had kind of been turned at this point in his career. You know, the game had sort of slowed down. A lot of the panicky, ugly, sort of bad decisions we saw from him, obviously that marred his time with the Jets and the Giants. Like that they weren't as bad last year. And now that's not to say again that he was playing high level, but there were some throws on his tape this preseason. He had five big time throws. He led all quarterbacks this preseason with five that were very impressive. I, I was very impressed with his poise too. Had a few plays under pressure that, again, just like weren't kind of the guy we saw from him early on. To where, uh, Seahawks might not be the worst team in the NFL. Is kind of what I'm getting at here. They, they're still. I don't think anyone's picking them to make any noise. Even uh, whatever you think that phrase means because make some noises falls into the fun to watch category of meaningless statements. But I I do think that Geno Smith with that receiving core, if these rookie office tackles play well, could actually have a good year. I'll say it. I was I'm I'm sold based off of what he put on tape this preseason. Like I said, 88.0 overall grade in the preseason. Some other moves around the NFL Trey Flowers. Former highest paid defensive end in the NFL at one point, I believe. Now to the Dolphins. Dude was making $19 million a year at one point with the Detroit Lions. Injuries over the last two years, broke his arm in 2020, had a knee injury in 2021. So he faltered to a 63.2 in a injury hampered year, but he's only 29 years old. And again, this was at one point, a guy who was paid top dollar from Detroit Lions, and there wasn't a lot of pushback because he was playing that caliber of football. To me, there were only a handful of free agents left at this point in time that I legitimately thought could make an impact on a roster. Eric Fisher being one of them. Will Fuller, Odell, whenever he gets healthy. Antonio Brown, if, you know, maybe not a positive impact on a roster, but an impact on a roster. I'm still a Landon Collins believer. If he wants to switch a linebacker, I think he could still play. Not probably an NFL safety at this point in time. But Trey Flowers is one of the guys I thought if is signed. Now it's not going to be for a lot of money. Can still make an impact. So going to the Dolphins, I think it's a good move for them. Um, and again, it's not going to cost them a lot. So fan of that only strengthens my plus four fifty Dolphins bet. I mean, only only looking better by the day. Even though Tua got crushed for the throw that he completed to Tyree Hill. By the way, the sixty plus yarder through the air, he completed it. Yeah, it was underthrown, but still a completion is a completion. Um,
1: not to be confused with Bengals Trey Flowers. Yes, just to you know. The tight end eraser that came in and helped helped solidify one of these a little AFC championship, a little Super Bowl berth. Not not the same guy. Oklahoma just, State legend, Trey yeah, Flowers. This correct. is
0: Arkansas legend, Trey Flowers. Correct. Last couple pieces of housekeeping here of talking ball. Had to bring this one up after how we started the show last week. Kayvon Thibodeau with the MCL last week on the on the cut block. Exact same cut block coming across the formation on split zone. T- takes TJ Watt out the game yesterday. No, T.J. Watt, why is he playing the third preseason game? You can ask that question, but apparently not a serious injury. You know what's coming, though, after this two weeks in a row, same block, two knee injuries. And now again, T.J. Watt's not supposed to be serious, probably make it back for the regular season. Week one, I think that block's about to be gone. If we saw it come with uh, offensive linemen, uh, what was that last year where the cut blocks to the edge were gone from defenders, cornerbacks, cutting down offensive linemen. Two injuries, two weeks. That one's coming up to competition committee next next offseason. And I think we've seen the last of the tight ends coming across formation and cutting. It, it's going to have to be a high block after this. I would bet good money on that being the case. Last piece of house scheme here. Nebraska Northwestern. Nebraska obviously falls. Scott Frost, week zero loss yet again to a Big Ten opponent and my favorite Northwestern's offensive line coach trolling Nebraska afterwards tweeted out and to think we only puked four times all camp after Scott Frost was bragging that 10 to 15 pukes a practice. That's how hard they've been practicing in Nebraska, which sounds wildly dangerous to any person with an ounce of sanity. Um, And yeah, didn't end up working out for them. Northwestern. He beat me to it.
1: I was going to make a puking joke. Yeah, I mean, He he got me.
0: That's, I, I love, I, there needs to be more coach trash talk than there is. I mean, there's always a lot of player trash talk on the social media sphere. I want coaches coming after other coaches. You don't see enough of that. I, I just think it's an untapped resource that. I mean, I feel like in college, that's like, like that can only help with recruiting. Right? Right? If yeah. Unless you're
1: a bad trash talk, like if you're a good trash talker, like Lane Kiffin kind of does it.
0: I get it. and And, and, yeah, and that's students. why he's fucking Kiffin, dude. That's why people like he's gotten, had the heel turn to like one of the most beloved coaches in America. And because he's the trash talk, because he's the guy on Twitter making the jokes. There needs, there's a, there's a market for that. And I think it's only going to get more realized in the coming years by, you know, forward thinking coaches. All right, let's get to Bruce Feldman's streaks list. Uh, Bruce, my, I, I praise him, uh, every single year for this article. It, it is a godsend for a draft evaluator like myself, just to get an early kind of sneak peek on who are going to be the guys. Who are going to be the guys that blow up the combine next spring? We get into it. We get into kind of his bet, how he does it, like how he formulates this list um, in a little bit and and go deep around some guys. But I wanted to get to, like, who are the actual best players from this list? Who are the actual top prospects to want? So I wrote an article for pff.com. Go find it. Go find it in the PFF app called the Top 20 Prospects from Bruce Helmstreak's list. So they're actually... Of the 100 Freaks List players, there were 20 that made the PFF Top 100 Big Board. So there's there's a lot of NFL draftable talent. Like a lot of times being a high-end athlete and being a high-end NFL prospect go hand in hand. Um, number one player on Bruce Owen's Freaks List was Mozzie Smith, who did not make the top uh, 50 on PFF's draft board. Was not, not much of a top prospect, only under 75.6 overall grade last season gonna need to see more from him but his numbers are insane I mean he did 325 pounds 22 times in the bench press he had initially had him as a 44 inch vertical and it ended up being only 33 inch vertical but that's still insane for a 337 pound man a 695 three cone which Michigan's apparently figured out how to do the three cone that they have a cheat code with what Aiden Hutchinson Quiddy Pay, and now Mozzie Smith are reportedly doing. Um, Yeah, I I don't know what's going on in the strength program there. I'm, as a Notre Dame fan, I'm willing to say it's probably PEDs that is the responsible for this, but three straight years, they've had either number one or number two in Michigan. That that program's churning out some athletes, especially on defensive line scrimmage. And the other one I wanna touch on here, um, you guys go check out the whole list uh, online before I get to the top prospects from it, but Marvin Harrison Jr. at number two, um, obviously, as a draft analyst, I haven't watched a ton of underclassmen. I only so much time in the day. But when I saw him at number two on this list and his numbers here 6'3, 206, bench 380, 22 reps at 225, 3'9'4 short shuttle, 10'9 broad jump, 23 miles per hour in the GPS like, those are insane numbers for a big wide receiver. He is not just a track star. This is a legit physical presence. And I flipped on his tape and I was like, this is not a freshman. This guy is unbelievable that that guy was riding the pines, obviously because you had, you know, 10th and 11th overall picks on your roster. um, And a guy who's probably going to be in that range next year in Jack Smith, and Jigba. But my God, like Marvin Harrison might be the best wide receiver in the country. It was to do what he did as a freshman or just put what he put on tape as a freshman. Um, as Notre Dame fan, I'm upset. Like, I'm just, I'm I'm upset that that is even possible. So yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. He, he will be not 2023 draft because He's obviously only a true sophomore 2024 draft. You're, you're talking about, you know, top five to 10 pick. I'd put him in that category right away. All right. Top prospects that are actually draft eligible here. The top prospect on freaks list. This guy, if you like Trayvon Walker. Who, a lot of people did. You went number one overall. You're going to love Miles Murphy. Very similar, the Clemson defensive end, not the North Carolina defensive end, because they are two guys named Miles Murphy. And the North Carolina defensive end is probably draftable prospect in his own right as well. But Clemson defensive ends, fifth on the PFF draft board, third on the Feldman's freaks list. And my lord, dude, six five two seventy five. Already you're thinking, you know, power end. It already like that size is very NFL translatable deadlifts 505 benches 405 35 inch vertical 10 foot broad jump and a four five high four fives in the 40. Th- those are I mean he could go four seven in the 40 and if he puts up those other numbers those are it's insane for a guy that size and again I said why he's fifth on PFF draft board is like Those aren't even, I guess, the bench press is, but like his strength, like how powerful he is just being able to move guys for a sophomore, for a freshman. He he had the highest run defense grade in the country as a true freshman. Like this guy, I'm very excited to see what he and the guy who's number two on this list of top prospects uh, on the freaks list, Brian Brzee, who's sixth on the PFF draft board, 14th on the freaks list, um, defensive tackle. I'm excited to see what they do without Brent Venables, honestly, because Venables, you know, pioneer in the defensive space. His defense has always been ahead of the curve, but kind of the way it's been trending ever since, I guess it was 18. So ever since the Cleon Furl line that had Furl and uh, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence ever since that one, they've been so blitz heavy and stunt heavy that they're not really maximizing. They're not like, you know, like how Ohio State just lets their D-line cook and get one-on-ones and then just do whatever it takes to get after the passer. That's not Clemson. You flip on this guy's tape and it's difficult to really see what they can do as pass rushers because of that. I will. I do wonder with the talent they now have along this defensive line because they got a ton on that Clemson line. If we see them sort of go back to that where it's a lot of more four down, more just let that D-line create on their own, because they got the horses to do it. But there are a lot of smart, I mean, like Kirby Smart, Georgia, uh, they're not. They're in the same sort of realm of these defenses that aren't just letting their D-line attack. They're, they're trying to create this controlled chaos up front with their linebackers being as likely to come after the passer as a lot of their defensive linemen, and just realizing that, hey, you know, we can win one-on-ones, but I'd rather get a free runner. And if I could scheme up free runners without kind of compromising my defense, the sim pressures, where you're still rushing forward, but one of them is like an off-ball linebacker, that you're in a better spot than, you know, however long it takes for your dude to win a one-on-one. So interested to see what Clemson will do. But yeah, Brzee at 310 pounds, ran in the high four sevens. Now maybe we got a little juiced up watch at Clemson. And I talked with Bruce about that, of which coaches, you know, which... Which strength coaches are we believe in here and which ones aren't we but you just look at this guy he was the number one overall recruit back in 2020. he's 310 pounds and not a gut on him i feel like anytime you see a guy that large you know who does not look that large does not look like he should be weighing 310 pounds it's always uh impressive and those guys tend to you know be your better football players uh so number three on pff's draft board or number three on this list of top prospects on the freaks list is keely ringo who's top 10 on both PFS draft board and the freaks list again good combo to have as a prospect he's eighth on pfs draft board with six on the freaks list but he's six 215 at cornerback for georgia i mean that that already sort of conjures up you know patrick peterson as comps jamel dean sort of comps where those guys have success. The guys who are that big and then low four threes. He, he ran a 10-4-300 meter in high school. Keely Ringo did. That's just a very good combo because you don't get beat deep a lot. And when you know you're not going to get beat deep because you have that sort of inbuilt, obviously that speed advantage and that size advantage over pretty much every wide receiver you're going against, you can take a lot more chances. You can do, you're just playing an easier game at the cornerback position than the five, 185-pounders of the world who run four or fives. It's, you're, you're just, your life's easier. It's like it's how the game works. So yeah, Keely Ringo, a lot of people CB1s, PFF CB1 at the moment. Feel, feel pretty safely he's going to be a first rounder when we start doing our first round lock segment after next week. All right. Number four on this list of top prospects on the freaks list. We got Andre Carter from Army who will be joining the podcast. He's ranked 11th on the PFF draft board. He ranks 13th on the freaks list. And this was not a guy who coming out of high school, Connecticut's Cheshire Academy took a, what is that called? The, uh, took a, what's it called? The, the year after high school where prep year, year, prep year, took a prep year, which to go backpacking in Europe. I could have taken a prep in retrospect. Mm -hmm. I could use a prep year right now. Yeah it was not i don't think he was discovering himself Any. he was just probably going and lifting weights in connecticut at a prep school but he came to army 230 now 260 and he's agile as can be four two pro agility is the only number they give here to justify his 13th ranking but when you're a guy who's six seven 260 i don't like a four two pro agility is out of this world and that's why i'm so high on him is that he can cross the face of opponents of opposing offensive tackles so easily and then we combine that with like 35 inch arms because he's long as hell you put that combination together and that's tough for offensive lineman that quick with that kind of length yeah I, I think he's going to be and i said this to army's first first rounder since 1948 been a min they haven't had a lot of drafted guys in general but yeah andre carter special dude number five on this list TCU wide receiver Quinton Johnson comes in 21st on the PFF draft board, 23rd on the freaks list. I know Connor Rogers, the stock exchange guys. I think he had him as wide receiver one in the upcoming class with good reason. He's 6'4, 210, and has a 42 inch vertical and 11 foot broad jump. That is a good combination. This is a guy who, um, Broke a ton of tackles. Has broken a ton of tackles over the course of his career already. Very difficult to bring down after the catch. Um, I'm really high on him. Again, not produced a ton because, well, he goes to TCU. And obviously their passing offense is pretty not great. Only 634 yards all last season. But, man, you flip on the tape and he's so explosive off the line of scrimmage. So explosive out of his cuts that... I think you're willing to forgive some production concerns, and, and the crazy thing is, 26 broken tackles on his career and 55 catches. That, that rate is for a freshman sophomore. I, that rate would be like insane if you were playing in the FCS, but he's not. I mean, he's playing in like the FCS version of the Power Five in terms of defensive talent. But I really don't care what level of competition it is. That is an insane rate of broken tackles. And it's not like he's getting pump screens either. So. Quinn Johnson, going to be a hashtag fun to watch all star when it's all said and done with what he puts on tape. Can't wait to see what he does this upcoming season. All right. You want to go check out the full list of those guys? Go to pff.com and do so. Or go to theathletic.com and support Bruce's work. I know I am a proud athletic. I'll throw
1: the links in the description. Links are in the description. Just just check down though.
0: Perfect. All right. Easy enough. If you haven't heard by now, Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy football this summer. We've all been there in fantasy football leagues. It's Sunday morning and you're digging through news reports trying to figure out whether to start your stud wide receiver that tweaked his hammy or you have a player on your team that hasn't been getting in the end zone. And then one week he suddenly goes off for 30 points on your bench. With Underdog Fantasy, all the stress of who to start each week is lifted off your shoulders because it's best ball format. Draft your teams before the season starts and get the best score in your lineup each week. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's Best Ball Mania 3 tournament to take your shot at $10 million in total prizes. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. That's right, $100 in free money. Also, if you play 10 of those those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So basically, you are paying less than what you would pay at PFF.com. And a little, little cheat code there for you. Underdog drafts close before NFL kickoff. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft in your best ball mania team today. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. And now everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up 7 You win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789. In New York, call 877 8 or text Hoppany 467 per customer. Minimum $5 positive and wager $200 issued as eight $25 bets. Let's toss. It though to bruce feldman because we talk about a bunch of these guys on that and talk about his freaks list and a little bit of college football talk as well here it is bruce i am joined now by bruce feldman college football reporter of fox sports and the athletic and we're gonna talk freaks list because it is my favorite article that drops all year long i reference it podcast listeners will know. On a weekly basis, pretty much. I may be the biggest Freaks list fan there is. I reference it, like I said, all the time. And it pains me yet again to talk about Michigan at the top. How do they keep doing this? How does the Michigan Wolverines keep getting three straight years now? They've had either the number one or number two player on your list. What is Ben Herbert, the strength coach, doing there that no one else in college football seems to be able to replicate?
2: Well, I think it helps. By the way, thanks for what you said. I really do appreciate it. Um, I think it helps that they are one of those schools, and there's probably a handful, 15 of them, that recruit at a really high level, certainly. So he's working, you know, two, uh, last year, Aiden Hutchinson was number two on my list. Before that, Quiddy Pay. Um, a lot of D line guys, mm-hmm. to be honest. You know, Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy Pay, Rashawn Gary, who everybody, you know, tried to recruit a few years back before that. And I was really talking to Ben initially. And by the way, he, you know he has a track record. He had been at Wisconsin before that. We know some of the developmental guys who turn out to be big time stars out of there. So it was interesting. Well, I was really talking about and Julius Welchoff, who is a little bit Aiden Hutchinson like in terms of size and great change of direction, but in some regards, very different from Aiden Hutchinson and that Aiden Hutchinson has been already really, really productive as opposed to Welshoff is more of a developmental guy. Hutchinson, second generation football player, his dad was obviously a great player at UM, whereas Welshoff was a champion mogul skier in Germany. And so some of that skiing background, like, you know, amazing, like kind of unheard of level of lower leg flexibility. And so I was talking to one of the players in their program, D.J. Turner, um, who's the fastest guy in the program. I said, what's the most amazing thing you've ever seen Julius do? And he started talking about this ankle flexibility test. And, you know, honestly, we've all gone to the gym or have been in the gym and you know what a bench press is, you know what a vertical jump is. You know, And, you know, like most people who are probably watching this know what a good time or a good pound, you know, performance is. Ankle flexibility, that's a different one for me at least. And so I said, well, what did you score? And he goes, well, most people get like 12. I think I got 13 or 14. I said, what did he get? He goes, he got like 23, you know? So just, it was so unheard of the difference. So I reached out to some of the Michigan strength coaches I knew, and then Ben and I got in this conversation and, you know, Welshoff was as, you know, he fit, he's in my top 10. But the more we talked, it was Mozzie Smith. And I was like, I knew he was a really good player and he's, you know, he's been there for a while. I didn't know, he's gone from like 315 to 337 and he's got incredible strength and incredible explosiveness. And the more we talk, and then he sent me a bunch of videos. We ran a couple with the story. There's a couple other ones that, that you know, we weren't gonna run all the videos. Um, just kind of amazing power and strength. And I was like, geez, I think I may have a number, this is gonna be my number one guy. Whereas I thought it might be Miles Murphy or Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, and then I was like, after all the Mozzie smoth, stuff started coming in, I was like, some of these things are like unheard of, you know, to to uh, bench three and three and a quarter for twenty two reps. I mean, to be honest, if he did two and a quarter for twenty two reps, that's not bad, but a hundred pounds more, and then all the other stuff he was doing how explosive he is! 33 inch broad broad jump, um, 33 inch vertical jump and all these other things. And then the detail things are like, all right, here's my number one guy. It wasn't even that much of a decision after I thought
0: about it more. So when that article initially dropped, you had Mozzie actually with a 44 inch vertical? I, oh my God. Uh, how much, how much like pushback did you get on that? Cause when I saw that, I was just like, that is the fakest number I've ever, like that just can't be possible. That yeah, got it can't that be true. Yeah. so. I,
2: <laughs> A uh, couple of little confessions here. So the so the mission, I, I, last week we did a family trip in Florida. I'm based in Los Angeles. So it's, um, you know, we're on East Coast time. And I was trying to get these videos processed that I got from a lot of schools and strength coaches. And it was a little bit of a rough process to get it, forget for them to get it and for, you know, whatever. So I was up till late at night and the athletics said, hey, can you uh tweet out this thing at basically four o'clock 4 a.m pacific and i was like sure and i get the link and you know i'm scrambling and it goes up and i see a couple of retweets and i'm literally in like the hotel bathroom like on the basically on the sink area working because everybody else in my hotel room is my family and they're asleep And I noticed somebody go, you know, it's 2022. And I was like, oh boy. And I realized I was like unveiling the 2021 freaks. And I was like, yeah, that wasn't good. And then I started, there was a couple other typos and that was one, I think there was another one that was maybe on the other side where it was like, somebody was actually more impressive than the typo. But when I saw the Mozzie one, I was like, ooh, that's mine. I gotta fix that. So, but then some of the other numbers are just so crazy. So I think it's just, you know, I appreciate the people who are kind of like, okay, you may want to double
0: check this one. Michigan also had, and I keep, I hate that I keep harping on Michigan, but they also had a true freshman on the list. Kenneth Grant, defensive tackle, 6'4", 360, run a sub 540. I can't remember any true freshman. Was this the first time you've included a, a guy who hasn't played a collegiate snap before?
2: No, there's been a couple of guys uh-huh. who were in the past who were, you know, like, I'm glad you said it the way you did. There were a couple of guys who actually were mid-year enroll- early enrollees. They were there. Okay. They might have gone through spring ball or whatever, but then... Um, I had a few. And so what was weird about that one was I ran into Jim Harbaugh in Indianapolis at big 10 media days and had a pretty good conversation with him for 20 minutes. And he started talking about Kenneth Grant and I knew the name, but I don't like he was a three-star D line recruit from Indiana. And I think he had probably more uh, big school interest than usually maybe some three-star guys have. And so I asked some people and then, you know the video we had of him to be 360 to move like he does is insane and herbert was like you know if he if he keeps working he will be probably the number one guy on your list down the road Ooh. you know it's just like you know harbaugh was was really effusive in what he saw from this kid he was like he's a gift from the gods
0: <laughs> have you ever felt like when you're know, talking to a coach talking to the strength? coach, whatever, that like they were lying to you about a number that they really maybe gassing their guys up and that it really wasn't quite accurate at the time?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a great question because sometimes, you know, like I, I've been doing this in for 20 years. And so, you know, some of the schools where it's like, all right, I'm going to take maybe this with a grain of salt. And honestly, my metric on this is what do they do when they go to either their, you know, to the pro day or what do they do when they go to the combine? Because... You know, a long time ago, it's probably like 12 years ago, I had Margus Hunt from SMU, my number one guy. He was a, a, you know, a champion track athlete and super, super explosive. And nobody could believe the numbers. And then he went to Indy and he almost matched him, oh, you know, to the to the 10th of 100th of a second. And so, you know, people saw like last year, Aiden Hutchinson, his change of direction numbers were insane. That's what he did, you know? Um, you know a lot of that stuff was you know he's the second pick of the draft he would have probably been the first pick of the draft if his arms were longer right or something but but um you know so you see like penn state had some crazy numbers but then like the Mike Gasickis and the saquans and blanking on their safety from a few years back he you know like they've had guys who've gone there um you know micah parsons micah parsons you know you don't you know like my my daughter could see oh micah parsons is different just watching him on the field you know, they had, um, oh man, I'm blanking on the Ravens first round pick last Odafe. year. Odafe crazy Owe. Fast.
0: Journey Brown. Yeah, Jason, Jason
2: Owe, whose first name is different. You know, Odafe Owe, who just crazy fast mm-hmm. went and did it at the pro day. So, you know, I've kind of learned who I can probably have a little more faith in than who I, who I, you know, maybe I'd be a little more skeptical of. But, you know, as you said, Michigan, their track record has been strong on those guys who have really backed it up.
0: So you are like, When guys go to the NFL combine or their pro days, you're keeping track. You're like, Hey, I got this guy, you know, said who ran a four, two, nine goes runs a four, four, five. We're going to have to, we're going to take that with a grain of salt next time.
2: Yeah. There's a few that are a little bit where I'm like, Oh, I want to see this one kind of thing, but then there's others, you know, like the top five guy on my list was DJ Johnson and I've heard about him for years. He started out of Miami and then he transferred to play for Mario Cristobal at Oregon, heard about him a lot. And then when I saw the number that I got from the coaching staff at Oregon, I was like, wow, this guy, I don't know what he weighs now because I know he was 270. And they said he ran almost 23 miles per hour. 23 miles per hour is fast for a receiver or a DB who would weigh 170 pounds. That's still moving. And um, the idea that he hit that speed. And then so, you know, I talked to Dan Lanning numerous times. He's like, he's actually 6'4", 275 now. He's even bigger. you know, the issue with him is, has he been able to stay healthy, but like, you know, and then well, I, re- I was down in South Florida last week. I talked to Mario Cristobal a little bit in depth about him and same thing. You know, it's like, no one questions, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, size, speed this guy has. He's legit. It's just keeping him on the field.
0: How many schools are out there reaching out to you? And have you seen an uptick in it? Because like marketing and putting your program out there and social media and that sort of thing has become the new wave in college football and how to get, you know, maximize your recruiting prowess, you know, nationwide. Are you seeing an uptick in schools reaching out to you? And are there a lot that are like really trying to get their guys on this list?
2: Um, I am seeing a an uptick would make it seem like last year. I feel like in the last maybe three years, four years. I've seen a much more open, um, you know, for coaches, for head coaches, for other coaches to, to, um, be responsive, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm still reaching out to most of them. Now there's a handful who will be like, Hey, you need to take a look at so-and-so the other thing that's been really awesome. And I didn't really, I think because I became a sideline reporter, I don't know, six or seven years ago now. And so I'd be on the game on the field before the games. Well, who else is on the field before the games is NFL scouts. Mm -hmm. And I would have these conversations. They would, we would talk about players who were on there and, you know, they were incredibly, um, you know, kind. It was flattering to hear some of the reactions. And so from there, I started reaching out to a lot of NFL people. Cause even there's a handful of schools. And I mean, it's now it's probably, I can count them on one hand who I know. Are probably not going to be very responsive to, to cooperate in this. And so I for a couple of these schools, I really lean on the NFL people who are either been in the building or have the conversations to tell me what they get. And you know, I'm I'm thankful uh a handful of guys who put on, you know, certainly Jim Nagy and his crew from the senior bowl, they've been awesome the resources. Um, Eric Galco has, you know, has <laughs> you know, a lot of these guys. Are really good at canvassing players that we, or at least, you know, college football fans may not be watching on Saturdays because they're FCS, they're division two players. I mean, I Jim especially, I talked to him maybe five days before this thing ran for about two and a half hours. We had this, we have these long calls and they're great because even if they're not necessarily freaks list guys, I'm able to pick his brain on what they think of people. And he's you know he, he's so sharp with his with his intel on players but like i'd never heard of the guy the offensive lineman from quincy university i would never even heard of quincy university you know until he was like you may want to check and then so that was saturday morning and i think i did a bunch of calls and he was like i got back to him I was like hey by the way there's i heard this this and this you know and it was like there's you know another guard at, at chattanooga and he's a really good player. And thanks you know, thanks to Jim for for that one, too. Um, you know, it was just, uh, just um, you know, and then it works out like, Galco and I were talking, I think it was the, where I, he was the first one on this, was Andre Yoshivas is a heptathlete, super athlete track guy at Princeton, but also a really good receiver. 6'3", 205 pound kid from Hawaii. And when I started, when I when I started looking into him, I was like, man, I actually know the receivers coach there really well. And it was just coincidence because there's a guy, used Brian Villan, he used to be at Villanova. And he was like, you know, a great resource to find out really in depth on these. And a lot of position coaches usually, not always, but usually, if you're a free list guy, it means you probably are a great worker in the weight room and in the off season. And those position coaches. I think want to talk to you about them, you know, most times I would say like 85% of the time it's a player that the programs really want to champion. Now there are some that are like just freak athlete. And it was like, I've had a couple where they were that guy and you'd ask somebody that and they would back you off them. And I'll respect that usually mostly.
0: So you mentioned that there are some programs that aren't responsive and I'm not going to make you name names here, but I feel like Georgia has to be one of them. Because last year, Devonte Wyatt was the only guy who made the list for you when Trayvon Walker. Jordan Davis, both put up like all-time combines. Quay Walker, Lewis Seen blew up the combine as well. What do you think the impetus is for those schools to not be responsive to you? Like, is it they don't want to gas their guys up or is it just they don't want to deal with the media as a whole?
2: I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer to that. I'm not going to say that you're right. I'm certainly not going (laughs) to say that you're wrong. Um, But I don't... The one thing that happens a little bit um, is I will ask about a guy, and this isn't a Georgia thing. This is this is a hand. This could be other schools, mm-hmm. and I will ask about a player that you heard, or there's been some buzz, or they had big t- legit track numbers out of high school, and especially if it's a place where I know the strength coach or know the staff, and they'll be like, they may give me somebody else, and for all sorts of reasons, maybe that kid's not, maybe that kid just isn't, as you know, hasn't translated quite the same way three, four years later as he's added weight. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't think he works that hard. Maybe they do not want him putting out there like that. I mean, I can think of a, you know, a dozen situations over the last few years of me expecting them to say somebody and they say somebody else. And that's okay. You know, um, like where you've asked specifically. Mm -hmm. On the other part of it, I don't know, you know, why why the reluctance necessarily. It's not like... Some of the guys you mentioned use Georgia as an example. Absolutely, Jordan Davis, you know, tore up the combine, um, and we knew he was a really good player. I don't know if they just didn't want to pump the expectations because I, I know this when I do stuff leading into the draft. There's a bunch of schools or a bunch of uh, you know people who don't want the expectations sky high of you know, a kid, you know, as a defensive end, he's going to vertical jump 42 inches. Then he only vertical jumps 38. Mm-hmm. That's still a great number, but it's like, did he disappoint? So I don't, I don't know what necessarily. And, and, you know, again, some of these schools are super tight lipped about anything, you know, so I don't, I, it's hard for me to speak on. It's really, it's really two schools right now. <laughs> that's about it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know I, we interview coaches all the time uh, for the podcast and like, you'll get guys ask about certain players, you know, who are their like, easily their top players. And they just won't, they like refuse to acknowledge that they're even good. They're, they're like, oh, you know, he he's talented, you know, but he's got a lot of work to do, like those sort of things. So I feel like that's probably just old school coach speak. I am gonna bring up, though, a couple guys from this list that I think are underrated based off of the numbers you put them. And I just want to hear your thoughts on them. First one is, I think, the darling of this list, Houston D-line slash fullback Derek Parrish. Comes in at 49th, but he has a 21-inch neck. And to me, the most impressive number on this entire list, he ate 110 ounces of meat in one sitting. How do he only check in at 49 for you?
2: So the, when I heard this, by the way, so obviously the West, the old West Virginia staff or some of those guys, uh, Ryan Dorchester, who's Dana Holgerson's right-hand man, was a manager and then a recruiting guy at West Virginia. Knows Owen Schmidt, knows the Pat McAfee you know, era well. And when he was telling me about him, I'm like, man, this sounds a lot like Owen 2.0. You know, now Owen did some other freaky stuff, but in terms of just something you'd see out of a movie, the 110 pounds of, you know, in, of beef in one sitting. So immediately when I saw that, I texted Andy Staples, who I work with, who's definitely a high volume eater mm-hmm. in his day. Now, Andy has since lost a bunch of weight, but I've been with Andy where... You know, I've been with him in the Brazilian steakhouses and not only was he a big eater, he was, he was like the guy who looked like he dumped his plate over, wiped it clean. I was like, we were just having a conversation. Why did you, you know, how did you eat so much so fast? And he was like, yeah, that's, that's an insane amount of food for somebody to just chow down in one sitting. I mean, he actually, he could have been in the top 15, You, you know, it's just like, the numbers are great. There's a there's probably like six guys in there where I was like, they were they were anywhere from like 30 to 65, and they probably could have been in the top fifteen.
0: Yeah. So I've done actually a four-pound burger before and I couldn't actually finish the bun. I did the burger. So I had four pounds of meat, which that is six pounds of meat, 110 ounces. So that that's a different level, and that is just I could not fathom. I felt the worst I've ever felt in my life after doing the four pound burger. So that is something else for Derek Parrish. The other one, going to give some love to Cincinnati here, being in Cincinnati. Tyler Scott, wide receiver here, 4'2", 40 inch vertical, 11 foot broad jump. If those actually, if he actually tests like that pre draft, Marquise Goodwin is the only other wide receiver in NFL history for the database that we have to match all those numbers. How do you check in at only 54th? for you on this list
2: you know it's funny because he has a teammate whose numbers are almost identical except he has the 40-inch vertical the other guy I think was like three inches sh- shorter on the vertical but all the other numbers yeah. GPS numbers everything were the same I mean it's the kind of thing where I think if he was six if he was Marvin Harrison dimensions Marvin Harrison Jr dimensions as opposed to that mm-hmm. um I think he would have been a lot higher I had I got four Cincinnati guys who were three that ended up making the list and Yo, know, look, a lot of credit to Luke Fickle, a lot of credit to his strength guy, uh, Brady Collins, because I've had a lot of Cincinnati guys in the last three or four years. And if you even look, even Desmond Ritter, you know, I think when he went to the combine, he, you know, he ran really well. I don't think people thought he was going to run slow, but I think a lot of these guys, Alec Pierce was a, I feel like he was a multiple-time freaks list guy. Yeah. They have really developed a bunch of explosive athletes and and i think again this guy certainly uh is deserving to be you know if he matches those numbers and again like i said what collins has done there with luke fickle those guys now have a have a pretty solid track record of developing and backing it up you saw it especially on you know like i said alec pierce was you you know you know this being there special all-around athlete volleyball player played some linebacker you know i'm not surprised if he's gonna have a really good nfl career
0: for a long time all right last question about the freaks list then we'll get into a little college football talk who <laughs> would be your pick for the biggest breakout player from this list
2: oh man that's tough um can i think about this for two for 20
0: yeah. seconds i'll give you mine i'll give you mine real quick and you okay. think about yours i'm gonna go justin flow the oregon linebacker obviously he's played one game in two years former five star I'm not really going on a limb calling like the number one linebacker recruit a breakout player but. That would be my pick for anyone. He came in 76. Yeah, if he
2: can stay healthy, right? One game, he heard it. They played Fresno. He was like the national defensive player of the, of the week that week and then was gone. Um, you know, I'm tempted to say, because there, there's a few guys on here, like Kalijah Kansi from Pitt is super underrated. I mean, he's a first-team all-league guy, but I just don't – I feel like sometimes the people lose Pitt um, a little bit you know there's i don't know if i had to to look at somebody you know let me think for a second more i'm kind of going through this because there's a bunch of guys who are kind of under the radar a little bit but i don't know if i would say they're breakout guys um you know let me say riley mills from from notre dame
0: oh you know, you're after for my heart there
2: love it yeah he's like when I got all the numbers, I got a bunch of Notre Dame guys. I was kind of deciding between. I was like, "Man, this is a really big explosive athlete. He's almost 300 pounds, six five. I think that um, you know he's going up against really good, D- especially now too. They, they have I, I would argue one of the two best old line coaches in the country. So now that's what he's going against every day in practice. I think that's really good. Um, I think he will be a. I think he will be one of the biggest breakout players on this list."
0: I love it. I love it. Let's say, let's say, let's, we're going to talk a little college football, let's stay at Notre Dame. Now, what are your expectations for Marcus Freeman? Obviously sky high, they have the top recruiting class and, you know, modern Notre Dame history, number one or number two, depending on where you look, do you think they keep that together? And do you think he has, you know, picks up where Brian Kelly basically left off with the program?
2: I think he can. I like the staff that he put together. Um, and I like, I mean, as I said, I think arguably one of the two best O-line coaches in the country, arguably the best running back coach in the country um, that they added. I think he's got experience on defense. The, the biggest thing where I think he has the, again, upside the draft term, but I can use it here, I think, is because he has been, become is seen as so relatable to players and so connected, I think he has a chance to get in and and win over kids that maybe didn't want to play for Brian Kelly or just didn't feel like as much of a connection to Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly is a terrific coach. He's won everywhere he's been. I don't want to take anything away from. He did a, a a remarkable job at Notre Dame for a long time. Can the one thing was he got a lot of really good players. He developed them. I think can Marcus Freeman get some just a few more difference makers that maybe the other you know teams that that are better than them. Playing with, I think he can. Now, what do they do year one? I mean, we are—they already took a big injury lat over the weekend at a position that they're kind of thin at receiver. You know, um, they've uh, taken a blow and like late in the summer at running back, where they had a freshman who was going to be a really good player. I think they're a legit like top eight team. I don't know if you know. I don't. I think it may be a year or two, or maybe three years before. They are a national title contender, but, you know, he's got to grow into the position, which I think he will. But I think he surrounded himself with a really good staff.
0: All right. If it's not Ohio State or Alabama who feel, you know, AP Polls came out there one and two. They feel like a clear tier kind of above everyone else in terms of just all around talent. Who would you bet on to win the national championship this year besides those two outside? Of those, two.
2: Yeah, those are those would certainly be my two. Um you know, I look at, you know, Georgia still, I mean, if Will Anderson is not the most dominant player in the country, you know, he's in the middle of the defense at Georgia and Jalen Carter, and they have, they have players all around there still. Um, I guess if I had to pick a third team, I would probably say Georgia, you know, Stetson Bennett has won a national title. They can, you know, everybody can believe in him and they, they have, the most talented tight end room in the country, right? So you have a shorter quarterback who can make some plays, and now you got Brock Bowers, you got a six 275-pound guy, and then you got maybe the best athlete of the bunch in Eric Gilbert out there, as long as he's able to stay on the field. I mean, that gives – and Todd Munkin's really good with receivers and what he can do with them. Now you're giving him three pieces. I mean, Oscar Delt, the other tight end, is really talented. So I could easily talk myself into Georgia – and it's not like crazy because you know you've seen how many five stars they'd land on their defending champs but that would probably be my third
0: yeah if stetson bennett weren't their quarterback i feel like i would get on board too but my gosh like that stetson was on his way to transferring three quarters through that national championship game last year so i i think i would lean someone outside i would go more like you know usc in my opinion i think someone off the wall has a chance of doing like a michigan-esque run this year
2: well, that's – offensively, I could see it. Defensively, I think they have too much to overcome there. Mm-hmm. I like Alex Grinch. I just don't know if they have – I mean, they were so bad. My Like, my TV crew did that – did their game against UCLA late last year, and they were so bad. I, I mean, that was the worst USC team, and I've lived out here for close to 20 years. That's the worst USC team I've seen physically. They were just completely dysfunctional. And I'm not saying Lincoln can't get them a lot better, but they have to get – so, you know, it's like, and I, I could see them being favored in pretty much every game they play. I just don't know if their margin for error when you're so ba- so average on defense personnel-wise can do it. I thought you might have said like Baylor or somebody like that or, you know, like their quarterback is is talented. He's kind of a little under the radar. You know, he was a, he's a baseball player. He slings it around. They have a really good D-line. We'll see, you know, like they they obviously lost some good players in the draft, though. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Uh, I this is a fun time of year cuz I think you could have gone in like eight different directions there of who the third team or the sleeper is.
0: So, you're not going to go with Texas, who got voted number 1 by someone in the coaches poll. Did you get you, you're connected? Do you know who who that was that voted them number 1?
2: Uh, I do not know. I can find out from <laughs> Ralph Rucho, though. I'm I'm sure that you know, I imagine uh, yeah, somebody'll
0: know. So, <laughs> that that one that always uh blows my mind that someone's going to go out on a limb like that because you can't vote for yourself right in the coaches poll no no it's different
2: from the ap because it's like the ap you can find out who did what so on this one i don't know you know there's no Steve Spurrier's out there who are like kind of laking in the weeds to kind of to kind of tweak people with what they do with their vote so i don't i don't know who would be most likely to to throw that one in i don't know if it's if Brent Venables votes or if, you know, one of the mm-hmm. Big 12 coaches wants to put more pressure on Sark going in. Love that. I you would know, love maybe it's Benables. one of the Big 12 coaches.
0: Uh, so let's talk a little NIL. We talked we touched on this last time. We talked to you before last season, but it's only sort of gain steam. The ball's only been rolling downhill and picking up speed here. And you're starting to get basically base salaries at a lot of different programs. USC has a, a group of boosters. I think a student body rights forming this, you know, 501c charity or nonprofit that is just paying these guys salaries for appearances, SMU has done the same thing, $36,000 a year. Is, this, is every school gonna have this within you know two or three years by now?
2: So there probably some version of it. I think the tricky part is like you said a minute ago, the word boosters. I think the idea of boosters being involved with players who have not signed somewhere. So it's recruits and it's pay for play or it's transfers. That's the part that I don't think the NCAA knows how to deal with. You know, I had, had a conversation with George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, a couple of weeks back. And he said they wanted to get behind legislation where you can't do anything until a player commits. And then I I kind of pressed him on it. I think he meant, I was like, look, kids commit all the time. And then I was like, do you mean like when they actually sign? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, there is a difference there. but." Uh, to me, that's the part that I think is so unwieldy for them because it feels like almost everybody could be uh, so could be defined as a booster who's involved in these things now.
0: Yeah, what do you think is ultimately going to happen then with the NCAA and basically the pay-for-play? Is the NCAA just going to go defunct and, and have no more governing power? Yeah, I
2: I feel like it's heading in that direction. You know, it's just you know does football break away? You know, because uh, for the longest time people. You know, most people who are around college football know that the NCAA doesn't put on, you know, it's not like the NCAA basketball tournament, but still there's involvement, some of the legislation that gets passed. I think people scratch their heads at it. How does it work? The governance piece, like all those things, I think now the money has gotten so big and the NCAA seems to be so toothless. I would, I think it probably will get to that point where it splits apart just because I feel for the football side, to some degree the ncaa is out out living its usefulness or I, mean, I don't know if that's the expression i want quite there but it's mm-hmm. like it, it can't deliver and i think once once people in the sport know that the ncaa is not set up to to really do anything about the issues that they have then i think they're like well, what are we what are we doing here what do we need them for
0: is it going to be ultimately like conference governance is it going to turn into you know, big 10 versus sec, two main conferences. And that's, they basically run the show.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the way it seems to really be headed. That's where the, all the money or most of the money is. And I think what they got to be careful of is you don't want to hamstring your own leagues for competitive reasons against the other one, because then all of a sudden it'll just like, Hey, if we're, if our coaches, like the Pac-12 coaches, you know, back in May were very adamant that they were going to try to rein things in, well, if they're already at a at a competitive disadvantage now in terms of for a, a variety of reasons, um, some of them self-inflicted, but if you already kind of button things up, then all of a sudden your, your disadvantage is going to only grow. All
0: right, last question here, Bruce, and then we'll let you go. I know you're college football. I was a reporter. Do you ever get a chance to, though, get out and tailgate a game and enjoy a game? And if you did, what would be your drink of choice?
2: Um, It has been a while since for a football game, especially like as a, you know, being somebody involved with the pregame, I associate, you know, for me, tailgating would be to at least have a beer or a few. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, that's real. I can't really go that, go that way before a game because if one becomes two and then all of a sudden, <laughs> You know, you don't want to be in front, you know, have a microphone in your hand at that point. But, um, we get, you know, getting to do a lot of big 10 games, especially the last couple of years, you know, you walk through the tailgates and it just smells amazing, you know, and you just see it, you know, there's certain places that just feel like football. Right. And, um you know when i was working on my recruiting book meat market i was down in oxford mississippi and that's great tailgating Mm -hmm. you know it's just a cool scene and so all those places you know jump out at me um you know i i mean this is kind of a random one but like i think because of where our tv trucks are for iowa games you know it just it just feels like college football there it's just it's a really it's a really, um, it's an interesting little college town and, um, they love their team and the fans do a really good job tailgating. I just think it's, it's one of those where I don't, you know, it's the one that comes to mind at first because of my experience in the last few years of going to games and walking through the tailgates and just kind of seeing it and just feels very much like a slice of Americana.
0: I hand up. I've actually never been to an Iowa game, so I will have to make. You're not that, that far away. You should drive trip, over. Not, I know I will have to make that trip. Thank you so much, Bruce, for the time. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It was great talking to you. Awesome stuff there from Bruce, as always. I love the story about tweeting out the wrong year on the on the freaks list link. That's just I know that feeling of tweeting out something dumb, being like, I'm just going to have to eat it and Limited to see another day. Bruce, always, always great to have him on. Let's, though, talk about the rookie stock report here. We're going to be doing probably this as a weekly segment throughout the season. Who's going up? Who's trending up? Who's trending down? And obviously, after three weeks of the preseason, we got a lot, a lot of guys to talk about here. So we'll go position by position. Who caught my eye? Who in a good and bad way? So we'll start at the quarterback position where like a lot of people were getting gassed up. Probably the only you know drafted guy that at no point got gassed up was Matt Corral, who obviously makes my stock down list here. The dude had a 46.5 passing grade on 33 dropbacks and then had a serious list Frank injury out for the season. That was about as bad a start as you can get. Did not look comfortable. Did not look ready to play whatsoever. Was the worry. like That was the worry coming from the offense. He played at Ole Miss. He, he was point and shoot. He, he was a loaded bow and arrow with the way he had to play quarterback at Ole Miss. It it was RPOs till the cows come home and it was play action passes more than any other quarterback in the country. It was just not a NFL translatable skill set to develop. So when he had to do NFL sort of things, it it looked panicky early on. And so sadly, you're not going to get that year of kind of soaking everything in and kind of just being around it with that injury, but it, it was, he was never challenged to Baker Mayfield. He's never challenged to Sam Darnold. Just wasn't going to happen. Now the rest of the quarterback class, there was really only one guy I thought stood out to me as looking different from pre-deft eval. That was Kenny Pickett. I thought of all the guys, he looked po- more poor, just like a better version of what I thought he was going to look like out the gate. Sam Howell, had some nice things this past week, had had a really good game and an extended look. As a runner, I mean, he was breaking tackles left and right. He broke the most tackles of any quarterback this preseason, I believe. Um, and, and looks like he could be a legitimate scrambling threat. Now, still a little up and down, still some ugly decisions on tape. I, I don't think he's challenging Carson Wentz anytime soon. But if Carson Wentz is about to hit his, you know, snap threshold and the commanders are out of it already. We could see we could see Sam Howell sneak into some playing time towards the end of the season. Um, I, I think he definitely deserves that, at the very least, to get that QB2 job there over Taylor Heineke. Malik Willis, I, I mean, the highlights of Malik Willis were sick, just like they were at Liberty. But was Malik Willis ready to step on an NFL field week when I don't, I don't think so? I, I'm like, I'd be excited if I were a Titans fan. But I don't think it was anything different than what we saw at Liberty in terms of changing your evaluation. Obviously, those guys were Howell and Willis were one and two on my draft board. So, like, in terms of the quarterback position, so I should, you know, be rooting for them theoretically, you know. But I, I just think they were kind of what I expected out the gate. Didn't didn't do anything or show anything more than I really anticipated. I, they were just going to be raw guys. But Kenny Pickett, on the other hand, he looked of all the rookie quarterbacks ready to play. Now, is he get ready to play like high end football? That was always the question and that's we still don't know because, you know, 6.9 average depth of target. Some of that's Matt Canada's offense, some of that's you're playing against third stringers who are playing off coverage for the vast majority of snaps this preseason. And you can take a hitch route at will if you want, and he was. But once you get to, you know, next Sunday, that's not going to be the case. You're going to have to play a different, little, little different brand of football. So impressed that he was taking what was there, that he was getting the ball out quickly. And, and there were some high-end throws on his tape. His touchdown in week two, uh, the post route was masterclass. Threw it before the break because pressure was bearing down on him. If you had to hold it a split second longer, it would not have gotten that ball off cleanly. And those were things that, I think that process speed, the anticipation speed were things that I maybe had a little questions about on his tape at Pittsburgh that again, tiny sample size, 44 dropbacks. That's one game it's worth of snaps over the course of three weeks of the preseason. And again, it is preseason. Daniel Jones looked great as a rookie, just important to remember, but I'm impressed. And they'll probably start Mitch Trubisky because he also looked solid this preseason. But if it's week six and things aren't working with Trubisky, week four, things aren't working with Trubisky, I think they're going to be more than willing to have a quick trigger with how can you pick a look this preseason. All right, let's get to the running back position where two guys really caught my eye in a positive way, one in a not-so-positive way. Damian Pierce, the talk of every fantasy analyst over the past two weeks. He's the best fantasy football player of all time. He's he's. RB one. Dep- depending, moment. On, if you just log on Twitter right now and you look up
1: like <laughs> Damien Pierce fantasy, he's the best fantasy football player that's ever put on cleats.
0: Yeah, and it's like it was eleven attempts. He had eighty-six yards and eleven attempts this preseason with four broken tackles. They were sick. They were a sick eleven attempts. Don't get me wrong, but he's probably still running behind the Texans O line, which at best is a is a league average O line. He'll be fine. He will be their starter. He is very good. It was RB3 on the PFF draft board. I'm obviously high on him. But I think it's temper the expectations, just a touch. The other guy that caught my eye, though, Jordan Mason for the San Francisco 49ers. I believe he was a UDFA uh, out of Georgia Tech. Now, I'm a little upset that I wasn't high on Jordan Mason because back in 2019 against Miami, he actually set the PFF single game record for broken tackles. 19 broken tackles in that game. He is elusive, always was elusive as hell at Georgia Tech. Obviously, lost his kind of lead dog status after that 2019 year to Jameer Gibbs, who now transferred to Alabama, and they split time a bunch the past two years. So that didn't hurt, didn't help his draft stock. But it's preseason. He he was running with power. He was breaking tackles once again. On, uh, let's see here. On. 19 carries. He broke five tackles, averaged 3.6 yards after contact per attempt. The only thing is, you're dealing with a limited athlete, which is probably, a lot, probably why a lot of people weren't high on him, which is why he ended up as UDFA. Four, five, eight, 40, 33 inch vertical, 911 broad jump. Like, what's your upshot at that point is probably what a lot of people would push back on, but I, I'm a fan of what I saw. I think he's making that roster and it's already, already impressed a little bit more than we've ever seen from Trey Sermon over his time there. So the one guy I am a little wary of stock down and running back in and, and again, this is stock down, but only because the stock was high to begin with. This is not stock is worthless. This is just stock down. It's Brees Hall from the New York, New York jets. Not, not the best preseason. And the thing, 14 carries to 29 yards, he didn't have a lot of holes. There wasn't a lot of yards to be gained there. Adrian Peterson's is prime isn't going for like 60 yards behind what the run block and he was given. Just say that. It was average, average yards before contact was behind the line of scrimmage. But he brought some of that on himself, I will say. He, he was indecisive in a number of runs where... In that scheme, the outside zone, which was a lot of the concepts that he was given, you got to make one cut and live with it. You got to make your decision and then live with the results of it. And I think too often he got a little wary of took one step this way, starts patterning the feet in the backfield. It's fixable. Those things are not death knells by any means. His career is not over. But if you're talking about week one, week two, week three, fours, are we going to see that fixed already? Is he going to be super productive? I, I just think it might be a little slower learning curve than everyone wants to give to a guy who just turned 21 in May. I mean, willing to give him time here, but that was not the best preseason if you're really trying to, you know, live up to the IPO's getting pre-draft. All right. Onto the receiver position where we got a number of dudes. George Pickens, obviously, on this list. I honestly think George Pickens' hype's gone a little too high. I think he's still clearly wide receiver three in that Steelers offense and wasn't, like, separating at a high level on tape, despite, you know, that's never been him, really. His game's been catch point. His game's been physicality. That's translating, and that's the good thing. That's why you think, like, long-term, willing to think that, He's going to outplay his draft stock, but i would just push back a touch on, you know, maybe year one going for a thousand yards, something like that. The guy who I wouldn't push back on the hype right now is Isaiah Likely, because like I said it when he was drafted, that was the perfect spot for him to go because the the Ravens don't really use that second tight end like inline blockers. They're all like move blockers and, and they get them going across the formation. So you're
1: not even going to call him a tight end. You just threw him in the receivers here. He's the move tight receiver.
0: receiver. He's the move right. tight end. Oh, these are, these are guys who catch the football receivers. So they're wrapping up tight ends in this as well. Um, but caught all 12 targets, 144 yards, touchdown, seven broken tackles, four of four in contested situations this preseason. And, and the thing I love is that the Ravens just let them play. At 235, he got up as pro day to like 245, obviously could not sustain that weight. Tested out very poorly at that size, but he's at 235. He can block on the move still, and now he can be dynamic in space. And he really did look still like a guy that you don't want to try to tackle one on one in the open field. So very much on the team of Isaiah, likely as tight end two in that offense could produce. As the, like a tight end, one in other offense would just because of how that offense is schemed. A couple of the guys here that I thought definitely are real players can make a real role year one that I wasn't necessarily sure when they got drafted. Romeo Dubs, Dobbs, excuse me. He he, he went by Dubs all draft season, but then said, "Yeah, it's actually Dobbs." I just never really corrected anyone. So, Romeo Dobbs. Now the hands. Drops are a bit of an issue. Aaron Rodgers was lamenting that. He did have three drops this preseason, but you can't fake what he was doing as a receiver. He was stacking corners on the outside, NFL corners. Ambry Thomas, who was starting, I think, for the 49ers last, last year in the playoff game that the Packers did lose. He was getting behind them and over the top of them. And you can't fake that at six two two of 2 I think he will have a role in this Packers offense. Now, is he going to usurp Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard? Probably not, but he'll see the football field and he'll see some targets. The last guy, Khalil interested to see if he breaks into over Isaiah McKenzie at the slot there because caught all eight targets preseason for 151 yards. I think he's just that reliable slot option that, you know, Isaiah McKenzie's really never been. So, um, and the Buffalo Bills, that offense have a very good or very defined slot role that not, not a lot of schemes are not. Every scheme has a guy that they're that they putting in the slot every single time. And that's running kind of the quote-unquote slot route tree. Bills do. So we'll be interested to see Shakir, who that's like his bread and butter, how he fares in that. Stock down at the receiver position, though. This one, it's got a lot of stock downs. Not not a lot of people are high them not even the Tennessee Titans. And it's Traylon Burks. Four of seven targets for 37 yards all preseason. One touchdown, which was a pretty much uncontested touchdown. Um, and that's on 48 receiving snaps, so less than one yard per route run. Uh Kyle Phillips is now starting over him in the slot. And before you're like, you know, oh, Traylon Burks, you know, he's 6'2, 225, of course he's not going to be starting in the slot. That's not like a slot receiver. Cal Phillips is, you know, 185, six foot, or 5'11". That's a slot receiver. Burks played slot in college. So, if he can't start in the slot, the position he played in college over guy drafted a few rounds later than him, maybe four rounds later than him, that's a little worrisome. So, yeah, stock down and touch on trailing Burks, but it was always going to be a project. I mean, when you don't run a full route tree, it's not going to look good what you just try to do it against NFL athletes. So, um, still... Jury's still out, but that obviously if you're looking for him to produce your one, I I don't see the A.J. Brown trajectory. I just don't. I have. I've said that all along. Jalen Tolbert, the other one who I was high on, I I thought he could even be NFL ready and come in and get the wide receiver two job with Michael Gallup out in Dallas. But Jalen Tolbert, man, he's really struggling with the physicality of the NFL already. And that's a touch worrisome. Six of 15 targets this preseason for 44 yards and only one of three at the catch point didn't break a single tackle. Like he let guys get their hands on him and then couldn't get him off. So a little worrisome. Obviously, level of competition jump from South Alabama to the NFL can make a part of that. But yeah, Jalen Tolbert had a bit of a rough go here. Probably not going to be your widest receiver two in Dallas. All right, let's get to the offensive line where Two guys really caught my eye. Two guys who were high-end athletes testing coming out that you thought, you know, had concerns about at their size. Can they translate? One Cam Jurgens, the Nebraska center, turned out Eagle center. He was flying around the football field. I, I mean, you squint. That was Jason Kelsey. Early career Jason Kelsey, because I think he's still usually even a little bit more explosive than Kelsey is now. Yeah, Cam Jurgens. He had a block on Jermaine Johnson, the screen game. That was just, I mean, he caught Jermaine Johnson's your left defensive end, Cam Jurgens at center, and it's a screen to Johnson's side. Jurgens beats him all the way out to the flat and then pancakes him right on his back. It was, it, the way he moves, and, and obviously being able to learn from Jason Kelsey, like that, it's only a matter of time. He's gonna be a dude, probably not gonna play this year, unless barring injury, but yeah, Cam Jurgens had an impressive preseason. The other one, Zach Tom, Packers offensive tackle didn't allow a pressure dude did not allow a single pressure all preseason and they even threw him at guard as well and I don't think he's a guard long term but I I even consider him at guard over someone like Royce Newman because he's been that good in pass bro 75 pass blocking snaps not a single pressure allowed this preseason Um, should not be too surprising at the highest pass blocking in the country last year but Yeah, a guy who's super high in coming out falls to the fourth round. I don't know how, but I I think he's starting. Uh, He's one of the five best for Green Bay. I I don't know if he starts, but he's one of their five best offensive linemen right now. Stocked down at the position. Trevor Penning, not not too surprising here, but he was not ready in pass pro. We said it coming out. He is one hell of an athlete, one hell of a specimen. Pass pro technique. Is an issue and it's the thing that doesn't just take overnight to fix so i don't think he's your starting left tackle now is he still a man amongst boys even at the nfl level yeah he was doing some things some defensive ends that would be illegal on the street but six pressure 754 pass blocking is nice his, his trader duke manyweather said he's struggling he's not comfortable with vertical sets yet that was kind of andrew thomas's knock coming out or not knock that was like his rookie year why it was so bad is when you when you don't vertical set in college and you're asked to vertical set in the NFL, do something completely new. It's not going to look good, and it didn't. But but that wasn't like the only thing, uh, kind of hampering Penning this preseason. The other one that hasn't really gotten talked about much, obviously Penning's going to draw headlines. He's a first rounder, but Logan Bruss, the guard for the Rams, he did not look ready to start either. The scary thing is like he has to start, or like they drafted him at the back end of the third with the expressed intent, I believe, of making him a starter at guard because they were thin. After Andrew Whitworth's retirement, they were like guard or bust, which is why he was ultimately, you know, their first pick all the way at the back end of the third. But Bobby Evans, Coleman Shelton, Tremaine Ankrum, like they, they don't have a lot of options if it's not gonna be Logan Bruss. Five pressures, three other losses in pass protection on 35 pass blocking snaps, a. Rough, rough 10.4 pass blocking grade this preseason. It didn't look good, man. Um, I, 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 there has to be better options there, but I don't know if there are, is the scary part. So this Rams offensive line may not be the Rams offensive line. We saw a season ago, All right, let's go to the defense side of the ball. Defensive line. Travis Jones looked comfortable with the sort of physicality. of The NFL rare to see from a defensive tackle only 72.1 overall grade, but I think a guy who you could just plug and play. Now, is he gonna be electric out the gate? No, but he looked ready to hold up to the rigors, which again, DT is a very difficult position to translate. The power difference between centers and guards in college versus grown men centers and guards is huge. And so the stuff that worked in college doesn't often work in the NFL, which we'll see here in a second with Devontae Wyatt when we talk about him. So Travis Jones, though, looked ready for that. And the other one, Nick Benito, 87.6 pass, Rushing grade, I, I thought played through contact really well, something he didn't really even like want to do at Oklahoma as a pass rusher because he could just run around guys because he's that kind of athlete. But the Denver Broncos, they look like they got a couple guys now, a couple sub package rushers with some juice, Baron Browning and him that. Man, that's two guys in the four fives to go along with Bradley Chubb, who you're probably kicking inside on third downs and Randy Gregory. Whew. This Broncos defense may not take a step back. I've been saying they, they could take a step back after losing Vic Fangio. They may not. So impressed with those two. Stock down, though, in the D-line. Devontae Wyatt, man, was not ready for double teams. And again, you're not playing against ones here. or are a lot of ones for too often the preseason, which is concerning. 50.2 overall grade. Now, still got some motor as a pass rusher. I, I think you'd still do some things in that regard as a rookie. But I, I can see why... He's not running with the ones right now in Green Bay because you're not putting him on the field on rundowns. From what I saw this preseason, it just he's going to get killed out there unless things change. And again, for a 24 year old coming out, that's not it's not the way you want a guy to be trending and why I've stocked down a little bit on Jermaine Johnson too. 60.1 pass overall grade, excuse me, this preseason had really only one like high end rep as a pass rusher that I saw. And again, it comes back down to pre-draft eval. If this was, you know, Trayvon Walker coming out where the pre-draft eval was project, worrisome. Jermaine Johnson pre-draft eval was, he's 23 years old, ready to play in the NFL. And really only one nice rep as a pass rusher came against the Giants, and then he ended up whiffing on Tyrod. I think it was the play Tyrod got hurt. Uh, And he was the one I mentioned earlier, got pancaked by Cam Jordan. So a little bit of a shaky start for him out the gate, not writing him off, but that was not kind of what people were hyping him up as after his senior bowl performance. Let's get the linebacker position where N'Kobe Dean was N'Kobe Dean. I don't know if it's stock up, but same guy we saw at Georgia, 87.5 grade versus the run. Same guy, just like a heady player, just very intelligent, plays the game of football at a high level. So N'Kobe Dean's gonna be, he'll be making an impact when he's healthy and on the football field. Size, it didn't really show up. It hasn't shown up. Just hadn't yet. And the other guy I'll mention, and this one's kind of off the wall, Sterling Weatherford, Indianapolis Colts, UDFA, was a safety at Miami of Ohio last year. But he's 6'4", 224. I was just like, he actually ended up having the second most stops of any rookie or of any player in this preseason, 10 stops. I was like impressed with his read and react between the tackles for a guy who never played there. And it's something that we always say with these Isaiah Simmonses and Jeremiah was It's like you really don't know what you're going to get transitioning them to the reads they're going to have to make. But Chris Ballard, that dude can fucking he can evaluate linebackers. Great track record. That position would not surprise me, stealing Weatherford. Not that he's going to make an impact this year. They already have a stable there, but at some point turns into a guy that's seeing and starting on a football field. I'd right, down at linebacker. Brian Asamoah is probably the only one of the bunch that I was really like, I, I'd feel uncomfortable putting him out in the field right now. I just wasn't seeing it. The speed, the processing speed is not there. Finished 46.6 overall grade this preseason. And when you are, you trend towards the smaller side of the position When you're 226 and where you are, you know, Kobe Dean or Brian Asamoah like this. You have to play faster. You have to play more downhill than a guy who's 6'4", 250, than Quay Walker's of the world or the Micah Parsons of the world because you can't take on blocks from a standstill. You, if you're if a offensive lineman or a fullback or a tight end catches you at a standstill at the second level, you're, g- you're going for a ride. Whereas it, the bigger linebackers of the world, that's not the case. You can, you can get a little more power up to speed and not get rocked back taken on offense alignment, but Asamoah far too often on his tape, especially this past week against Denver. That was not the case. So him a little bit behind the curve stock down on Brian Asamoah. Let's get to the defensive backs where this looks like it, the quarterback class looks good, man. Stingley on 40 snaps sauce on 34 snaps. Kyer Elam, Trent McDuffie, all those first rounders looked the part right away. And, and now you're not facing, you know, Devontae Adams of the world, DeAndre Hopkins of the world, you're not facing those guys in the preseason. But you can only go across, only go head to head with the guys across from you, and they held their own, all those guys this preseason. So I I, I think all those guys are your starters. All those guys could make an impact year one. Very impressed with what I saw from all of them. And then after that, there were a number of guys that I was also impressed with later round dudes, whether it was Duran Bland. The cornerback for the dallas cowboys seven of 18 targets for 62 yards probably my biggest regret once the draft board came out final draft board from last year that i wasn't higher on he was in the 150s and i was just like you know i like his tape a lot more than that after the fact ends up going around that range in the actual draft i believe the, the fifth round to the dallas cowboys but he's just for a guy at his size over six over 200 pounds to have the hips that he does It's a good, it's a good combination, even if he's not like an elite, elite athlete. Um, big fan of what I saw from this preseason. And then another guy in a kind of similar mold, Christian Benford, the Buffalo Bills cornerback, who was another smaller school guy. He came out of Villanova, didn't have a ton of tape on him, but he's 6'1", 208. And they had him sitting up at the line of scrimmage all preseason, 39 press snaps. One to two targets for nine yards, all preseason Christian Benford. Bills. They, they they know what to look for at corners. They've had a great track record of the guys they do draft at that position. Look like they may have two more guys in Christian Bedford and Kyer Elam. A um, couple other guys we're shouting out. Tariq Woolen did not expect him to look this good this early. Three of nine targets, 38 yards. Uh, I Obviously went to a great fit there in Seattle with what they do. Uh, I, I think he is your starter out the gate. Obviously not a lot of competition for that, but I'm um, excited to see what he does because the biggest thing that I kept like seeing or on his tape that I was like, damn, like that's, is it, his ability to stop. It, it's not just that he can get up to speed fast, but he throttled down on some hitches and came back to balls that I was like, I don't know if I saw that on tape, you know, that, that, that well at UTSA. So very impressed with what he put there. And then a couple safeties, Nick cross Colt safety, man, his, his explosiveness is out of this world. The former Maryland, Uh, safety made a number of plays on the ball this preseason six foot 212 still only 20 years old Uh, had a pass breakup a couple other forced incompletions one of four targets for six yards 89.9 overall grade that that guy's going to be a player Um, very very impressive preseason from him and then Jalen petrie already in the run game i mean he's probably one of the 10 best safeties in the nfl versus the run had seven tackles on 19 run plays i tweeted out a clip of it go Go check it out. It, it is as impressive as it was at Baylor. Jalen Petrie, TBD on uh, how he fares the coverage aspect, but he is going to be a value add in the run game. Really, the only, and like I said, a lot of the early drafted corners, early drafted safeties, I think were whole on their own. The only one who I was a little wary about that I'm going to stock down here is JT Woods, the safety for the LA Chargers. And it's just because he still just can't tackle, his tackling form is so rough. Uh, I mean, it's just, you got to get this guy as far away from line of scrimmage as possible. Four tackles he missed this preseason thirteen on 13 attempts. Missed over 20% of his tackles in his career at Baylor. Dude can fly, can make plays in the football. But as like your third safety now in Los Angeles. You're only coming in to be the middle of the field guy. If that, I just, I worry about him as a tackler. All right. We're going to do other breakout performers next week. Uh, Rookie contract guys who impressed, uh, guys who I thought uh, took a leap in some way, shape, or form. We'll do that next Monday. We're going to be talking about college football preview on Thursday, but we're going to get to the mailbag now. My favorite part of the show always. A few questions this week, some, some notes about the mailbag going forward. Again, send them in to me on Sundays. Please use, please, when you do ask a mailbag question, start it with the word mailbag in all caps, if you could. That way I can organize the DMs on the Talking Ball Twitter account a little bit better and sift through these a little bit easier because we get a lot of randos too. But, and the other thing is, I am going to not be reading every single one. You're going to have to come with it to make the show. Going to have to get some good quality content, some good questions. If you just want to know, about, say, you know, Florida's running back and how he fares as a prospect, I might just answer to you straight in, the, straight in that to you. I may not. Subscribe to show.
1: PFF and or get you'll know everything and download
0: the app too. And, and I'll tell you everything you need to know. There you go. Also, should we bring back voicemails? I think we are going to. I All want right. to bring them back though for like actual takes. Like I want people to have an opinion on something that they think is worthwhile that no one else is talking about instead of questions. Because the questions are easier in like a written format. I think we're just wasting people's time, but like come with a take, a well-thought-out take, and we could maybe run that on Thursdays. The speak pipes, Let's I, do it. I think we'll I'll start doing it that. So if they will going to put the link in the description, if you have a take on a prospect, on a team, on something that you think no one's talking about, someone needs to bring this up, send it in a speak pipe, they're good enough. We'll make the show. I will grade your takes. I'll, I'll give it a PFF grade. We'll call it Grade the Take. On Thursdays, we will do that for you guys. So, again, link in the description. Speak pipe. Go ahead and do that. All right, let's get to the mailbag. First mailbag question comes from Nick Hogan via text message. He said, Where would Will Anderson, the Alabama defensive end, rank in the NFL among edge defenders right now? Which I love these questions, by the way. Th- this is my favorite hypotheticals because we can never prove this. No one has any like real earthly idea and, and like rookies projecting into the NFL and everyone's different. So he could step on an NFL field tomorrow and not be able to do shit. But then six months from now, maybe he'd be sick. Maybe he'd be a top 10 guy. It's just every learning curve is different. So I'm going to go through and say, I, I think there's 10 for sure that I would say are definitely 100% going to take over Will Anderson right now. They are Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Max Crosby, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, Chandler Jones, Demarcus Ware, Rashawn Gary. Those are 10 guys I would for sure take over. Then I have 10 more here that I put that I'm like, you know, they're good enough that I don't think I'd want to risk it with kind of the learning curve of Will Anderson of will he, won't he be good out the gate? Uh, how long is it going to take? Because he, he doesn't have... Hell of an athlete, unbelievable athlete, unbelievable play strength at his size. He's not like a technician just yet. He's not, he's not that caliber that still matters at the NFL. It is still like how a lot of the best, like the vast majority of the best pass rushers still have to be technicians. So it's a little worse. So these are the 10 that I'd say is a debate. Trey Hendrickson, Robert Quinn, Randy Gregory, Shaq Barrett, Marcus Davenport, J.J. Watt, Brian Burns, Darius Smith, Daniel Hunter, Carl Lawson. Those are I put in all like that's a debate. And, and then you have some aging guys like Brandon Graham, Cameron Jordan, where it's like, yeah, would you rather go there where they may be falling off a cliff production wise? Or would you rather go for um, the youth and the athlete that Will Anderson is? That's TBD. And then you have like some other young guys who are ascending, who it's like, oh, they could be even better. Like a Montez Sweat, like a Chase Young, like an Aiden Hutchinson. So, I'd probably put him. I'd probably put him somewhere in the low twenties, just to be safe. But if you wanted to put him higher, I, I don't think I'd push back too much. Like as a prospect, he's up there. He's going to be up there with the best of the best that we've seen in the PFF era. All right, next question here comes from Brandon Reiblich on Twitter said, I have a scenario for you. It's the 2020 college football season. Aiden Hutchinson doesn't just get hurt against Indiana, or Aiden Hutchinson doesn't get hurt against Indiana, plays all the games in that season, and has the same dominance that he had in 2021 in this hypothetical 2020 season. In addition, he also with the same numbers in the pre-draft events. Where does Aiden Hutchinson get taken in the 2021 NFL draft? And then he adds, my take, his ceiling draft position would have been 16 to the Cardinals. and average range would have been 23 to the Vikings or Jets. If they don't trade up for Elijah Vera Tucker, man, that one. I, I don't, I just disagree. I, I, I think the steep drop from two to 16. Yeah, that, that's like, I think that's selling him way short. And the other thing being like, he would have been considered a better prospect should he have done that a year earlier? He wouldn't have had an injury. Kind of red flag on his profile. He would have been 20 years old when he was drafted. He would have had a lot of more positives in those factors that teams still do take into account. I think at the very worst, Minnesota would not have traded out of 14 and taken him there at probably I could have seen him go as high as four to Atlanta just because that's a position that goes higher in your normal NFL draft. Like people feel safer about defensive ends than tight ends as top five picks more often than not. And yeah, Pitt's the unicorn, but could to see him go to Atlanta? I think at the very, like, I think also the very worst Philly doesn't take Devonte Smith over him. I think Philly would have taken Aiden Hutchinson just with where they prioritize in the draft. Usually at number 10 or number, I guess it would have been 12 if they didn't make that trade with Dallas. So, yeah, I, I think it's 4, 10, 14 would have been your spots. Or even Dave Gettleman wouldn't have traded out 11 and taken him there. So I, I don't think he would got would have gotten past 11, truthfully.
1: He probably also would have been far and away the best edge. I mean, I'm looking at the draft right now. And then that's the other thing. Jalen Phillips, Pay, uh Peyton Turner. Odafe. Greg Rousseau, Odafe Owe, Joe Tryon, Shoyenka. Like... I mean, those were your first round round edge rushers right there.
0: Yeah, he would have – I think he goes higher than you're giving credit there. All right, last mailbag question here from Mr. Negative via Twitter. Long time, first time, love the pod. Since many fantasy football leagues are swapping over to auction-style drafting instead of snake, I'm curious what your thoughts on what the effects would be if NFL going from linear draft to auction – with worse teams being given more budget to bid on players. One I can think of is there would be less overpay slash reaches given teams would never pay more than market price for a given player. Also, follow-up is what do you think the first couple picks would be worth given a 32-team league with each team having $100 to draft rookies? I do. I love the idea. I think like the most fair thing for college prospects would honestly be if each team, each NFL team had their, you know, the rookie wage scale budget that they're given based on the picks they have, if each team could then just negotiate with the, re- with the whole NFL and use, every team gets their budget, that they're allotted money that they have for the picks that they came into the draft with, and then gets to negotiate and say, you know, if you're Trevor Lawrence, you're gonna command the Jaguars entire budget. You know, they can outbid everyone because they have the most draft capital. But it's all going to have to go to trevor lawrence because everyone else that's in the draft would bid up right to that brim right to their max because that's how good of a prospect guy like that is but maybe this past year where there is no trevor lawrence all of a sudden you know the jacksonville jaguars the number one pick maybe you're thinking i'm gonna spread my money out a bunch i'm gonna turn basically this what i have that would be the number one overall pick draft capital into a bunch of like fringe first rounders because I got a bad roster that needs to be rebuilt and pay a bunch of guys $4 million a year instead of Trayvon Walker, you know, well over $10 million a year. So I think that would be a very interesting way. And again, be much more indicative of the value prospects brings to the table, honestly. Um, I, I think you'd start to see it sort of approach like a PFF draft curve. Um, so I think that would be sick. It's never going to happen unless like a rookie class holds out. Of signing with the uh with the NFL altogether and strikes. But yeah, unless that's the case, it'd be
1: a great spectacle too. It would like the how the NBA like promotes like the draft lottery is like its own thing, like its own event. Like and, and no disrespect to the NBA, but like with the way that the NFL can promote I mean shit, I think like the Hall of Fame game did more views than like the Stanley Cup finals. So like you know, imagine what they could do with an auction style, right? Like if yeah. you made an event Make like out a, of that, it could be
0: like a week. Yeah. Well, that, that would be crazy. Three days, screw three days. It would, they could drag that shit off forever. It would be interesting. And, and yeah, like I said, what would the first couple of picks be worth if each team had hundred dollars draft rookies? It's kind of dependent on if the quarterbacks or not, you know, I, I do think a lot of teams would start to realize that like they're it, given that strategy or given have being forced into that strategy a lot of teams would start to realize oh i'd rather have two guys at one price than you know if it's putting money on these guys heads that's a bad way to say that i don't know why i said that but putting money to these guys to putting your money where your mouth is when you're having to get these guys instead of like putting draft picks to these guys i think a lot of teams would have to realize oh i'd rather have you know four guys at 20 bucks than one guy at 85 bucks which is why we say trade back. All right, that is your mailbag questions for the day. Thursday we're going to do a college football preview, and we have a Luke Fickle interview. Fickle was awesome. I was obviously a, a UC hater after they beat Notre Dame last year. Probably still am. Not getting over anytime soon, but I, I'm buying Luke Fickle. That, that guy's the real deal. Um, he, he had a great, he had some great takes about analytics. Great takes about building a program that one's a must listen to like i said i don't really care if you guys listen to the interviews we put them in there because uh it's fun for me to talk to a lot of these people and some of them are very very interesting you get some very very good nuggets but I hopefully give you guys enough before and after those interviews that if you want to skip them by all means that's your prerogative there you have it that's all for today's talking ball episode we will be back on thursday